Hey guys, what's going on? Awesome, good stuff. Um, so before we start, I know a lot of you guys are looking at me going like, who is this dude? Before we start, can we just thank the worship team? I think they did a smashing job, Gersh. Such a good job. Um, you know, this, this church is called Oikos Church, and it's great. I can actually see a lot of friends and, you know, a lot of old friends in, in the congregation. It's so good to see you guys. Um, you know, Oikos, the, the word Oikos in the New Testament, it does have the connotations of family, but I, I actually love the other meaning. In 79 times in the New Testament, uh, it's used for the word house. So this is actually a, a house church, and, and a house implies, in the Old Testament, whenever a house was mentioned, it implies a small group, intimate setting where everyone just knew each other. It's like in an Oikos church, you would expect anyone who walks through the door to be able to feel like they're at home. I think that was right here. Home for all, made new for his purpose. Anyone who walks through the door should feel immediately like they belong because it's not, it's not a huge church in its, in its scope so that you can get lost in the crowd. It's a small, beautiful house church. It doesn't need to be a number. You guys may grow to 500 people, but still remain a, a small, intimate house church church so that no matter who walks through the door just feels the love of Christ you know the moment they step foot through the threshold you should be able to walk in the doors and feel like family because the bond that unites Christians together this bond under Christ is the strongest bond that can possibly be made Uh, and so if you walk through the door of any church I hope one day if you ever come to visit or if you pop by FCC you'd walk through the door and we'd make you feel like home as well that's just something I hope the whole body feels you know um, so I just want to say, I know, I'm not sure if you guys record these. I know Pastor Dex ain't here. So if you do record these, I'm just going to send a short message to him. Thank you, Dex. I love you, man. Um, I miss you here, but you know what? I hope you're having a great time over at your mate's wedding over, over East or wherever you're at. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me. It's such an honor. Who's a fan of Pastor Dex? I'm definitely a fan. I'm definitely, you hear that, bro? Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of Pastor Dex. Um, I think he's awesome. I, I know Gersh. Gersh is a good friend of mine. I know Gersh and Kat. These guys are phenomenal people. He's such a gifted worship leader. This is actually the first time I get to serve with him. Uh, what a privilege. What a privilege. Um, you know what, guys? I want to ask your neighbor. I want you to ask your neighbor a question today. The question is, where are you from? Just turn to your neighbor and be like, where are you from? <laughs> a lot of Indos, right? A lot of Indonesians here. So turn, Darimana, Darimana. Where are you from? We're getting some funny answers, aren't we? We're getting some weird answers. I want someone, I want someone to hazard a guess, okay? Hazard a guess. Uh, where do you think I'm from? Africa. Oh. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Thank you, Zach. Asia, Asia, give me a country. Singapore. Singapore or Malaysia or anyone else? Indo? No, I'm not Indonesia. <laughs> Just because I say Darimana doesn't even understand. Okay, tell you what, guys. I'm actually Australian. I told you, yeah, I told you too. Born and raised, born and raised, guys, in Perth. This is my home city. But I'll, I'll tell you something. I'm an ABC. Does everyone ABC? I think uh, Malays and Indonesians call them ice kacang. No, ABC, right? No, okay. I, 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 <laughs> sorry. I, I was born here, but my parents are both from Malaysia. They're both from Kuala Lumpur. Um, but here's the thing, okay? Are there any, you know, ABCs in this room? Any people born here or ABIs, Australian-born Indonesians, Australian-born Chinese? Anyone can just chuck your hand up so I know. Oh, yeah, there's, so there's quite a few of you. So you guys will know what I'm about to talk about. We have a struggle. 
We have a struggle because whenever someone asks us where we're from, they're expecting an answer that we can't give, right? They, this, this is the truth, okay? This is so frustrating. They're, so where are you from? Australia. Oh, no, 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 but where are you from? <laughs> Perth, you know? Oh, but where are you from? You know, the womb, what do you want me to say, man? I want, what do you want me to say? I, you know, I got, so, I got so caught up with this crisis, this identity crisis that plagues third generation, you know, Australian, no, third generation Australians, the first generation Australians in a Chinese family. So I decided to test it, okay? The way that any Australian should test how Asian they are is through the crucible of bargaining, no, I, this is the truth. Okay, my, one of my best mates is an Indonesian, okay? I know it is in your blood to bargain. You know how to bargain. Malaysian, Singaporeans, you know it's true, okay? Everyone that is Asian just born, you can go to Malaysia, you can go, you can go to the night markets, and you can bargain anything down to a tenth of its price. Okay, that's just the facts. So I went to Malaysia with my auntie. Um, my auntie is like, you know, fifth generation Chinese Malaysian. Okay. She is as Malay as they come. We went to this bargaining store. This is the first, I was a kid. I was like nine years old. This is the first time I went to the bargain, you know, the night markets, the, um, Pasamalam. That's it. Right. So went to the Pasamalam. We saw that. I saw this shirt that I loved. It was a beautiful shirt that was hanging on the wall. And my auntie looks at it and she's like, do you want that? I'm like, yes, 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 I would love that. I would love that shirt. Okay, so she walks up to the vendor and she goes, okay, how much is the shirt? The vendor, 70 ringgit. Okay, 70 ringgit. I was like, that's not bad, you know? That's 20 bucks here. You know, it's like a third of the money, right? 20, 20 bucks ain't too bad for a shirt. In Australia, that would cost like a lot more. But she turns to the guy and she goes, 20 ringgit. <laughs> 20 ringgit. She asks him for 20 ringgit. And the guy's like, no. And you know, you've heard this, the, the, the no. You know, I got family, I got wife, I got kids, I got dog, I got school, I got uni, you know, all the excuses started coming out. And then, and then my auntie did something, she said it again, 20 ringgit, 20 or nothing. The guy was like, no, 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 50. She's like, 20. She's like, mm, 48, 20, you know, like she didn't, she didn't budge. And then the guy was like, you know, miss, I'm sorry, I, I don't think I can go 20. She's like, fine, let's go, John, come. And she, she walked out of the store and I was like, but, but my shirt, you know? And she, was, and she was just like, shh, just walk, just walk, just walk. So we're walking and I was like, what, what's the plan, auntie? You know, are we going to find a cheaper vendor? And true enough, you know, after around 50 meters, I heard this like, and the vendor comes running up to my auntie and she goes, miss, 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 20, 20 can. My auntie turns around, steal confidence, 15. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then the vendor looks at her, ah, okay, 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 15, 15. And my auntie said these words, you know, they just, they stuck in my head, you know, ha, I knew you'd be back. You know, I was like, whoa, such confidence, you know what I mean? Like so much confidence in bargain. I, saw, I had felt like I just unlocked, you know, the, the key to getting everything cheap. So I walked around the store and I, I was like, okay, auntie, you go do your thing, right? I, I know, I've learned. So I'm walking around, I see this bag, 150 ringgit. And I'm like, so like, I, I'm not dumb. I'm an Asian, right? So she took it from 70 down to around 20. So that's divide by three plus 10. Okay, so I was like, so I was like 150 ringgit, 50 ringgit, 60 ringgit. Okay, so I walk up to this dude and I was a kid. Okay, I was young. Is there anyone here who's nine years old? No one. Okay, I was young, man. I was young, you know? So I walked up to this bargain. It's like this old Indian uncle. 
And I was like, uh, excuse me, I'd like to buy, in a full Australian accent, I was like, excuse me, uh, I'd like to buy <laughs> that bag. And he was like, okay, 150 ringgit. <laughs> and I was like, I knew how this worked, right? So I was like, 60. And he looked at me, he's like, no, it's the same thing, right? No, I got family, I got kids, I got dog, I got, I was, I was, I heard this all before. I was like, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. I'm good. I'm good. And then I'm like, no, okay, you know, 60. And then he was like, no, 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 like 130. And I was like, 60. It's like 100. And I was like, 60. You know, he's like, no, I cannot, cannot, a boy, cannot, cannot. And I was like, okay, well, that's So I just walked, right? I walked straight out of that store. 10 meters, 20 meters. I got around 150 meters before I remember, <laughs> this guy's not coming after me, you know? And that's when, and this is how you know when you're not Asian, I started to feel really guilty. I was like, oh, maybe he really does have kids and like a family and a dog and stuff. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and I'll make a more reasonable price. Maybe for bags, it's not divide by three plus 10. Maybe there's a different rule. So I went back to the store and I was like, feeling all guilty. And I was like, you know what? I, I probably insulted him. I probably insulted his pride. I went back to the store and this guy, he sees me, he's leaning against the store pillar. He sees me approach, he turns to his mate and he goes, I told you he'd be back. (laughs) That was the moment I knew that I was Australian. That was the moment that I knew that I was absolutely Australian to the core. But you know what, when it comes to our identities in faith, it's a little bit different, isn't it? We call ourselves Christians and we call ourselves disciples. Our identity and faith, like who are you in the faith? That's a question we don't talk about a lot. We throw around this term disciple a lot. And today I want to talk about this. If you are taking notes, I don't know, if if you take notes here, then the title of this message is Simplify. And I want to talk to you guys about the true identity of a Christian. Who are we? Who are we meant to be as Christians, because I think this is a topic we don't actually talk about a lot in church. We talk a lot about like, we're going to build disciples of all nations. We're going to send them out. A disciple looks like this. We have to have worship. You have to sing. You have to be able to serve. You have to be able to give all these things. We talk about what a disciple looks like, but we never actually talk about what a disciple is or more importantly, who the disciple is. So today, I'm just going to tackle, you don't, I'm not going to get you to turn to any passage because it's, it's all basic. I just want to tackle one I am statement in the Bible. You know, Jesus made I am statements. The one in John chapter 15, verse 5. If you're taking notes, just write that down as the key verse. John chapter 15, verse 5 is when Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. You know, you can go to any church you like in the state and every single church will give you a different definition of discipleship. If you come to FCC, we'll tell you that discipleship is ABC. It's authentic, broken, and courageous. That's what discipleship is uh, for us. If you go to another church, they'll tell you that a disciple is someone who attends church every single week, someone who reads the Bible, someone who knows the Word. Uh, Yet another church may tell you that a disciple is a serious follower of Christ. We've got so many definitions up in the air to the extent that if you ask me, we've muddled this term disciple with the term Christian. Right? We use disciple to kind of mean a serious Christian. Have you heard that before? You heard that one before? A disciple is a Christian who's taken their faith seriously. A disciple is a Christian who's taken their faith to the next level. We build disciples, so obviously that implies that we become disciples from Christians. Otherwise, you know, where would disciples come from? But if you look in the Bible, you'd see that that's one of the greatest semantic errors that we've made as the Christian church. There is no distinction between what a Christian is 
and what a disciple is. In fact, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, well, you're a Christian. The two are interchangeable terms. They're absolutely the same thing. We're so guilty of overcomplicating it. A disciple is this. A disciple does this. A disciple looks like this. A disciple does. And we place these expectations on the higher up elite in the church, if you will, the people who take their faith seriously. The Christians that come to church every single week, the Christians that serve, the Christians that tithe, the Christians that give. But in doing so, we've made this fatal error, a a fatal, and I, I use that word intentionally, if I may, a fatal error that we've made as the church is making that distinction because it gives us the impression that there's another level of faith where you can just kind of sit around in church and be a, a Christian. You're, you're safe. You know, you're safe. You've, you've made it past the gates of heaven. You're safe. You don't need to do anything else. And that's, that's really dangerous. It's so dangerous because it's, it's, it's a misnomer. No, a Christian is not someone who just sits around but still in their heart believes. It's like... It's like me saying, can I use this illustration? Uh, someone I know, Andre. Andre's at the back. If Andre, uh, let's just say we were having a meeting here. We're having a very important meeting. And Andre runs into the meeting and his shirt's all torn up and, you know, he's dirty. And he's got like, oh, wow, well, I forgot about that. And he's got like mud on his face and, and he runs into here. And I'm like, Andre, you know, you're, you're 45 minutes late, Andre. Where have you been? And Andre looks at me and he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I was, I was just, I was walking my dog. And the leash snapped. And so my dog launched off. And I chased my dog. And my dog stopped to take a dump on the road. So I went to pick up my dog. And I looked to my left. And I I saw this truck heading towards me. Uh, So I took my dog. And I threw him onto the pavement. Uh, And then the truck ran over me. 16 wheels. Boom, 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 boom. And then I got up and I walked here. And that's why I'm 45 minutes late. What would, what would I say? I'd be like, Andre, don't lie to me. You know, don't be a liar. That's absolutely ridiculous. There's no way you can get hit by a truck and have just a few tears on your clothes and just have a bit of mud on your face. There's absolutely no way that that could happen. And yet the question that we must ask is, well, if we can determine that to be a lie, which is bigger, a truck or God? If you can be hit by a truck, and I know that just those few changes aren't enough, How much should an encounter with God who is infinitely bigger and infinitely more vast than a truck cause a change in your life? See, that's what happens when we encounter Christ. It's not this kind of like, oh, I've just got a few stains on my shirt. It's this, you, you, you know, Andre would be a pancake on the floor if he really got hit by that truck. You know, if we really got encountered by God, it would change everything that we knew from the inside out. Everything would be different. That's what being a Christian is. It's that encounter with God that leads to faith and then the life of worship as a response to that revelation after. That's called discipleship. But it's all a part of being a Christian. You know, uh, I've spent the last six years living under this title of pastor and it's been an enormous blessing, but it's also been, there are downsides to it too because you see, when you're insulated by this title of pastor, and it's not just the pastor title, but hear me out. When you're insulated under this title, what happens is you tend to use it as a buffer between what, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, people have to respect me. They have to assume that my life is of a certain standard. They have to assume that I'm praying every day, that I'm doing my devotions. And we live under this kind of insulated cover of our, our title. People think that you're automatically close to God 
because you've got this title of a pastor. And actually, it goes for any title. You can be here as a father or a mother. That's a title too. You could be here as an accountant or a doctor. And people will just assume whatever it is because of your title. You're insulated. You're financially stable. Well, one of the things about a pastor is they just assume you're just insulated in terms of your, your relationship with God. A pastor can't do any wrong. But can I tell you something? Um, and this is, this is awesome because this is the first time I've told this story and there are actually members in the audience who will know what I'm talking about. Uh, the first camp I led uh, was in 2009. It was a camp called Near under a church called Grace Methodist Church. A few of you guys frame, you came to Christ in this camp, mate. Um, there are a few like, you know, there are a few moments in my life that I vividly remember, but this is one of those moments. Um, to paint the picture for you now, guys, uh, I'm currently a pastor at Faith Community Church. This is a, this is a big church. It's a very big, it's a very wealthy church. Uh, the youth group that we built up in Kinetic, you know, and, you know, this is not me telling you, this is to prove a point, trust me. The youth group that we built up in Kinetic became the largest youth group in the state, you know, 400 kids. This was, you know, these are the things, this is the environment that I was in when I wrote this sermon. I, I was looking through like, you know, the old memories and I, I saw this memory of this camp that I led in 2009 and it was just amazing because, you know, in Kinetic, we have this worship team that's quite a few members. There's all these proper instruments and stuff like that and, you know, the lights are going and all this sort of stuff. Back then, uh, you know, we had a sound system that couldn't handle the four instruments that were on stage. Do you get what I mean? Sound guys, you got, Justin, you remember this. I think you built the sound system. Um, you know, we had an acoustic guitarist. That was me. I'd been learning for six months and I was worship leader. Um, we had a keyboardist. We had a drummer. Was it the real drums or were we still using the keyboard drums? Keyboard drums? Real drums? Real drums for the first time. First time that year. Real drums. But otherwise, it was me on the keyboard. Boom, tap, boom, tap, you know? Like... <laughs> That's not a joke, man. That's serious. Like, we had lights that would cut out. One light, I remember that camp distinctly. One light burnt through the wire because, you know, we pointed directly at a wire. We are like, what's that smell? And this light is just like, you know, combusting this wire. It was amazing. It was a tattered stage. I didn't know how, I didn't know how to play guitar. I didn't know how to lead worship. You know what, guys? I was, a, I was a simple dude. I couldn't sing in tune. Like, I didn't memorize the lyrics. You know, it was so basic. I compare it to the kinetic days and I'm like, it, you know, worlds and worlds apart, right? On the last night of that camp, I, I remember, and you guys would remember this too, because it was such a powerful moment. Like, the last night of that camp, I was just holding this guitar, you know. I was just singing, doing my thing, not even singing in tune. I don't remember what song I was singing. It doesn't actually matter. No one should remember it. Um, I was singing this song, and I just remember, I was standing, nothing, you know, no fancy words, nothing like that. I wasn't preaching. I was just standing there. And all I can remember is I, I remember God like the voice, uh, like one of the only times I've heard an audible voice and the voice said, kneel. Now, it was a Methodist church, not a charismatic church, okay? So we're not used to this stuff happening. Like the voice of God, I was kind of like, did you say something, mate? Like, you know, it was not used to hearing the audible voice of God, but I decided to obey. So I took my guitar and I knelt. Uh, I remember I knelt because the guitar strap came undone. And I was like, well, thank God I knelt. Otherwise, the guitar would have just dropped. And as I was kneeling, the most amazing thing happened. The presence of God flooded the building. Like, I'm talking about everyone in the building. Non-Christians, Christians, believers for 10 years, believers for the same day, uh, fell to their knees. Just like I just all I just said is you know what in the presence of God I think we just have to kneel sometimes and I got on my knees and the whole camp front to the back adults and kids just swept to their knees that was all I said I didn't coerce anyone I don't, you know what guys I think we should kneel today I think kneeling is the proper none of that I just knelt and the whole camp went on their knees and 
I tell you guys, you can't make that up. You know, you can't fabricate a moment like that. With all the lights and all the sounds and stuff in kinetic, I was just thinking at that time, like, when was the last time I had, I had a moment like that? You know, when was the last time, despite all the music, despite all the fact that I've been a worship leader for years now, despite the fact that we've got, you know, really talented musicians, when was the last time we experienced a real God moment like that? And as I was, as I was remembering this, it was like God hit me with it, all of it, all of a sudden. And I just remembered, you know, I used to be able to spend time with God hours at a time, like sit down in my room for like two hours just with the word, you know, just engrossed, wanting to find out more. It's like every verse would speak to me. But now that I'm a pastor, you know, all I can think of is what's the next meeting? When's the next meeting? Where's the next meeting? Where am I going to next? Who am I seeing next? Uh, What's the next strategy that I need to plan? What's the next sermon that I need to preach? I used to be able to sit down and just listen to sermons by anyone. I used to be able to go on YouTube, right? People that you've never heard of. I used to just be, li- be able to listen to anyone. Anyone, doesn't matter. They could have been like a, a 15-year-old giving like a, their first message in church and I would, I would receive, you know? Like I would listen to it and I'd be like, man, this, that's good stuff. That kid is going somewhere. And now I preach alongside some of the best preachers that I know in, in, uh, ever. And all I can hear when I listen to them is, is that the correct use of tone? Is that the correct use of an illustration? Is that the correct, you know, exposition of a point? And I realized something. Like, it's almost like the older I got, sure, I got wiser, and sure, I got, I guess, more in-depth in terms of my knowledge, but it's almost like the older I got and the more mature as a Christian I grew, I lost something. And that's when God spoke to me this line, the height of Christian maturity is when the believer is most childlike. I I love that line. Uh, I love that line. The height of Christian maturity is when the believer is most childlike. We used to do these encounter nights. Encounter nights were when, as a youth group, um, or as a church, we do them as a church as well, we'd get a band up and it's basically three hours of just solid worship. Like three hours of solid worship and prayer. And I remember this one night, I was standing on the side and the band was there. And, you know, usually the pastor would get up, grab a mic and be like, who's ready to praise Jesus tonight? And then everyone would scream and shout. And I was getting ready and I was just praying, God, give me a verse. Give me, give me something for this, for this group. And as I was standing there praying, I... I turned my Bible uh, to the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, and it reads like this. Hear this. It says, God is saying, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. This is in the Bible, by the way. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans, and your goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? I was so scared when I got that passage. I didn't read it out. I went up there and I did my usual like, come on guys, let's praise God tonight. You know what? I distinctly remember that was the worst encounter night we ever had as a youth group. It was the worst encounter. You know, God didn't show up. It was nothing like that camp in 2009. Nothing happened. Nothing amazing happened. People walked away from the night going like, surely there must be more. And I just, I just that, that line, it still to this day kind of haunts me. You know, when was the last time you sang to me? I mean, that was written to believers in the time. 
When was the last time you sang to me? And I think this is my point, guys. We overcomplicate things so much in the faith sometimes. We make discipleship about all these, you know, accolades, all these services, all these things. You have to have a growing ministry. You have to be doing your quiet time every single day. You have to be able to know the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. You have to go to seminary. You have to do this. You have to do that. It's like the, the older and the wiser we get, the more of our faith we lose. And the more of that magical element of just knowing God is lost in this flurry of knowledge that we're so desperately trying to build or habits or routines or or status or positions that we're trying to achieve. It's like that's what's become the faith for us, not just knowing God. And it, it breaks my heart because when I look at the church nowadays, I can see it largely categorized into two people. The first is the group of people that feel guilty. They feel like they're not enough. They feel like they want to be disciples and they're looking at the lead and they're just like, they're just discouraged and they're guilty because they, no matter what they do, they can't seem to be smart enough. They can't seem to serve enough. They can't seem to have the time. And this group of people usually ends up dropping out of church. But you know what's funny? If you look on the other end, you'll see the elites in church, these people who are burnt out just absolutely fried. They do the same thing week in, week out. They play the same songs, the same band, you know, same usher team. They feel like Christianity is a routine. Sunday in, Sunday out, doing this, doing that. Christianity for them is boring. It's a routine. And then we wonder why people burn out on either end, right? Can I share something with you? Um, like I told you before, and this is a completely biased opinion, but in FCC, I believe we have one of the, you know, um, this amazing pulpit, you know, and I'm so, I'm not saying, I'm not just saying that because I'm part of the pulpit. Yeah, even you take me away and the pulpit is absolutely amazing. We've got these gifted guys. Our senior pastor, Pastor Benny, is just this renowned preacher in Southeast Asia. Whenever you sit under his teaching, you'll learn something. There's this guy called Dan Mo. This guy can preach an entire 35 minute sermon without looking at his notes once. And every single word that comes out of his mouth is like revelation. This guy called Amos. Amos can break down the, he's like a walking like thesaurus. He's a walking dictionary. You know, the guy can break down the Bible for you into its original language wherever he is. This guy called Dave. Dave, like God was really unfair when he made Dave because he's good looking. He can sing. He's our worship pastor and he can preach as well. Um, like this guy's kind of like, he's everything. He's awesome. And wherever he goes on the stage, this guy's just absolutely killing it. You know, I'm standing alongside these guys and people come up to me all the time and they're just like, you know, you must feel so privileged. It must be so awesome being a part of this team. Honestly, no, it's not. I tell you, it's not. Like, no matter what I say to dress it up, and of course my answer to them, I tell you this in confidence because we're not in FCC, but my answer to them is, oh yeah, you're the best, we're the best, you know. But, but I'll tell you something now, guys, like being on that team kills me a little sometimes because every waking, every time I have to write a sermon, I'm thinking, how do I make it better? Pastor Benny preached last week. How do I follow that act? You know, how, how do I get more illustrations? Where do I get more stories from? Where do I become more engaging? Where do I become better? And I reached this point a few years ago where I was just like, God, I can't do this. Like, I actually can't do this. Everyone's looking at us thinking that we're this amazing team. I'm telling you, this team's falling apart. Like, we're not, I, I'm not good enough. I can't do this anymore. I can't fake it anymore. I can't, I can't be that preacher that everyone expects me to be. And these guys are all young, by the way. I'm not, I'm not even the oldest one. Like, I'm not the youngest one there. Dave's actually younger than me. You know, I'm, 
like I was just thinking, God, I, I can't do this anymore. And I, I will remember that. I'll always remember that night when I was sitting there and God spoke to me and he said in the most gentle way, he said, John, you just stay connected. I will bear the fruit. It was simple as that. It was nothing more. And at first I didn't get it. John, you just stay connected, but it's my job to bear the fruit. And that's when it hit me. That's when John chapter 15 verse 5 makes complete sense. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know that in that passage, the word remain or abide appears 11 times in seven verses? Now, I'm trained to exposition a passage, right? I'm trained to break it apart. So when I looked at that passage, I was like, I'm going to preach on that passage. I was like, I'm going to break down the Greek and all this sort of stuff. And I just felt like, what am I doing? It's such a simple passage. It's such a beautiful passage in its simplicity. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Just because we can understand the whole passage in Greek doesn't mean that we actually understand what God was trying to say to us through the passage. Here's what he's trying to say in the most simple of terms. I can't break this down anymore. This is exactly what the passage means. Christian, your only task is to stay faithful, not be successful. I'll say it again. Uh, Christian, your only task is to stay faithful, not be successful. Your only task is to stay connected, not to worry about bearing the fruit. And yet sometimes we come along and, you know, we're like, can you imagine us as trees? But if if I were a tree, sometimes I'd be like, ah, I'm going to bear fruit. You know, like that's what I feel like I'm doing sometimes. I'm forcing these fruit out of myself, you know. And that wasn't just a cheeky excuse to flex. I'm so sorry. There's nothing to flex here. But it's like, you know, sometimes we're, we're like squeezing out this fruit. We're like, we're trying to latch on these good deeds to our faith as if that's how you live the Christian life, you know? We're, we're trying to serve more. We're trying to give up more, sacrifice more, be here more and stuff. And, and there's this fundamental layer that's just missing. And it's the only thing that Christ has asked us to do, connect. Uh, are, there, are there any gardeners here? If you are a gardener, can you just put up your hand? Not a single gardener in this room. Okay, I'll tell you what. I had this encounter with a gardener in our church and I was talking to him and I made the vast mistake of like I always do, of pretending like I knew what I was talking about. Um, so I walk up to this guy and he's this old uncle, okay? So he's got, you know, decades of experience in gardening over me. And he's like, oh, so do you have roses at your house? I'm like, yeah, I got roses. You know, I got roses. And that's not a lie. I do actually have roses in my house. Uh, the only thing I didn't tell him is that I don't actually look after them. We have a gardener that comes in to look after the roses. So he's like, oh yeah, you know, like, what type of roses are they? Red, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, think, I think he picked me up from there. His name's Uncle Richard, and because there are no gardeners in this room, I'm just going to use him as an example. Can you imagine if this was a gardening masterclass? Okay, it's kind of like MasterChef just for gardening. Um, this is a, mas um, <laughs> a gardening masterclass, okay? And Uncle Richard is here teaching us how to garden. We're in his backyard. It's beautiful. There's a vine hanging right here. Visualize, okay? Vine hanging right here. His red type roses are just all along the periphery. And he turns to us and he goes, Okay, class, today I'm going to teach you how to garden, how to grow trees that bear immense fruit. And we're like, oh, this is great. You know, take the notepads out. And we're ready to learn, right? And then what he does is he pulls out this box, puts the box here. He says, this is what you do. And he takes out these 
beautiful grapes, the biggest grapes you ever see. I don't know if grapes grow that big, man, but like, like, for the purposes of this illustration, they're huge. They're enormous. He pulls out this huge uh, bunch of grapes and he walks up to the vine and he's like, this is what you do. And then he duct tapes the grape to the vine. He duct tapes it to the vine. And then he pulls out these beautiful oranges and he walks up to the orange tree and he staples it to the orange tree. And then he pulls out these beautiful apples and then he like ties them, you know, ties them to the branch. And when we're laughing and you're smirking because it's dumb. Like no way should a gardening workshop be conducted like that. But that's how we walk the Christian life. Do you get it? Like we, we say, okay, okay, how do we be a good Christian? Ah, I know. I need to serve in the worship team. And we go and staple the worship team to the tree. Oh, I know. I got to be an usher. And then we go and tie ushering, you know, to a, as if Christianity is just all about the fruit and not about the root. And there's a problem. There's a problem there, guys, because at the end of the day, Christ didn't ask us to do that. If you go read the verse, bearing fruit is not our job connection is just stay connected you know i was writing this sermon and i i was watching this sermon by francis chan on the same subject and francis chan did something like he thought it was a bit funny so he he went back to his old sermons and he read his old sermons and then he was like recording his reaction while he was going through his old sermons right so i was like Oh, I'll do the same, you know, like how bad could it be? Big mistake. Um, so I was expecting like a lot of stupid, you know, a lot of dumb stuff that I'd be like, oh, that's so gross, you know. Uh, so I went back and sure enough, the dumb stuff was there uh, and the theological errors were there. But do you know what I found in my old sermons? I saw like a boldness in my old sermons. Like in FCC, there are times where I preach to like, you know, over a thousand people. In, back when I was a, a young preacher, I didn't preach to more than like 30, you know, and these were the sermons that I was pulling up. And I saw in them like this boldness and this fire in the sermon that just, you know, it was unashamedness. That's all I can say. I was just not ashamed to preach the truth that God has given me. And it wasn't dressed up. I, I didn't have a single illustration in my sermons, not a single one. And I remember looking at my old sermons, reading them, and I started crying. I broke down and I just, I just thought to myself like, God, I, I'm not as passionate as I used to be. I, I'm not as on fire as I used to be. I'm not as close to God as I used to be. I used to not really care what people thought of me when, when I preached. You know, 30 people, right? Who's, who's to care? You know, but now every week I get off the sermon and it's how many handshakes can I get after the sermon? It's how many people come to tell me, how many people share the post, how many people like the post? And I realized, oh God, I've just missed the picture. I've just missed the point completely. You know, I realized when I looked at God, I saw a general who kind of like demanded my attention. But the Bible describes God as a father who desires our affection. It's a big difference. Not a general who demands our attention, but a father who desires our affection. And in my pursuit of just being the best pastor that I could possibly be, I lost sight of the reason that I became a pastor. I lost sight of the reason that I was standing there as a disciple, as a Christian. You know, there's this verse in Revelations, chapter 3, verse 2, I think, verse 1 to 2. It says, God's speaking to this church in Sardis, and He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. He looks at the church, I know your works. I know what you look like, 
You look like you're being alive and everyone thinks you're alive, but you're not going to fool me. I know you're dead on the inside. That's how I felt. But the verse after that is just as promising. The verse after that reads, so then wake up. So God doesn't end it there. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die because I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember what you have received and heard and hold it fast and repent. And that that was more than enough for me to realize what we need to do as Christians, what I needed to do at that time. Get up, pick up your stuff and start preaching the truth again. Get up, pick up your stuff. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are in Christ. Get up, pick up your stuff. Stop comparing with these people. Stop routinizing your faith. Stop just doing things because you've been told to do them or because your parents have modeled them for you. Seek Christ for your own. Make your discipleship, make your faith based on a relationship, not a routine. Seek the root, not the fruit. And that that's it. You know, there's, there's no simpler message than that. There is no more basic message that I can give you than that. There is no exposition here. There's no Greek. There's no Hebrew. There's no elaborate kind of like, oh, this is the contrasting, you know, none of that. But the message is so powerful because it is a message that we very often forget. And we wonder why church becomes dead, boring, why we can dread coming to church, why our service is fruitless, why we're giving so much and we still feel empty. It's because we're building a house without a foundation. You know, a while ago I was with my mate and he just came to Christ. You know, this is a guy I've been trying to bring to Christ for ages. You know that feeling when you spend like 20 years trying to bring someone to Christ and then they go to another church for one week and then they accept over there? Yeah, he was one of those. Um, <clears throat> so he, uh, he accepted Christ and I went out to dinner with him. And it was funny because he was a new Christian, but he was in a word just on fire. This guy, you, you, it was almost like I wanted him to shut up about God, but he just would not. We went to uh, Karawara, now Waterford, yeah? And we were at the Nando's there. And he was evangelizing to the customers in line, evangelizing to the waitress. Uh, you know, he tipped the waitress, man. Who does that? Like, he, he was so just out there. Whenever he talked, it would just be, you know, I'd be like, hey, man, so, like, w- what have you been doing recently? Oh, you know, I've just been, you know, hanging. It was almost like I wanted to steer away from the God topic. Oh, man, I've just been, like, doing my devotions. Really found this awesome passage. And, you know, you feel like sometimes they're making it up, but then they just don't stop. And I was like, oh, no, no, but I mean, like, you know, are you playing any games recently and stuff? Nah, man, no games. Just time to read the Bible. More time to, like, soak into the answer. Oh man, I got to steer this guy away. So, so I was like, oh, um, so, you know, I, how's uni going? Oh, uni's good, man. But I think I want to quit and go to Bible college and stuff like that. I was like, oh man, stop, you know, like stop. It's getting so annoying. But, you know, and, and he was so young in his faith, but it was beautiful. He was ripping verses out of context. You know what I mean? Like Jeremiah 29, 11 came out everywhere. And I was like, nah, that's not for you, man. That's for like the people of Israel. Relax. You know, he was ripping these verses out of nowhere, you know, using them absolutely incorrectly. But I'll tell you something, guys, like I could not help but be inspired by him. I was standing there with him and for the first time in my life, I, I just thought back to Acts chapter 4 when, you know, like uh, the disciples stood in front of the, the Pharisee, the Sanhedrin, the highest authority in the church, and they looked at them and they were like, inefficient. they were smelly, they were dirty, they were wearing ragged clothes, but the, the authorities somehow knew that these guys had been with Jesus. They just knew it. 
Like they didn't have to, they were wearing rags and they weren't educated, but the Sanhedrin knew these guys, these guys knew Christ. They had been around Christ. They just knew it. It was like this guy. I was standing with him and I was the pastor. He's been a Christian for around 72 hours and he's just inspiring me with everything that he does. And I'm just sitting there going like, I feel like I know Christ through him. I feel like this is what Christ would be like if he was on the earth, apart from, you know, he'd use verses in context with everything he says the word of God. But like, I, I, I feel like that's what he would be. And I feel like God set this situation up so perfectly because that night, after I had dinner with him around six o'clock, I had to go for a meeting at 7.30, which was just across in Curtin University. And this meeting was a, a prayer meeting for pastors. Only pastors were allowed into this meeting. Around 70 or 80 of us came into this room. And I tell you guys, I, you can't make this up. The change between meeting this guy, Christian, for 72 hours, didn't know anything about the word except for what he's read in the last 72 hours, um, and pastors, some of which have been in the faith more than I've been alive. And I walked into this room and I, I can't make this up. I promise you I can't make this up. I felt the difference the moment I walked through the door. I walked in there and it was cold. It was cold. And I remember hanging out and they all, they're all like, you know, well-known pastors and I was meeting them and talking to them. And as we were talking, I couldn't help but feel everyone was just trying to kind of you know, show off their ministry, invite you to their conference. They had an agenda, you know? And when we were talking, these prayers, they, they weren't like this dude. Yes, they didn't, they didn't rip a verse, a single verse out of context. Everything was well-placed. Everything was well-said. Every prayer was well-rehearsed. Well but yet, I got the... How do I describe... You know, you know a scientist, right? I, I'm a scientist by uh, training. Uh, a scientist looks at a subject and they know a lot about the subject. But we have to not know the subject. Yeah, because otherwise bias and, you know, objectivity and stuff like that. I felt like I entered a room of scientists. These guys knew a lot about Christ. And I, I don't want to say this is a broad sweeping statement, but I, I felt that they didn't really know him, myself included. And I just, I walked out of that so discouraged. What's, what's wrong? You know, what's wrong? One of my favorite sayings in life is our greatest fear should not be a failure but at succeeding in which in something that doesn't matter our greatest fear should not be failure but in succeeding in something that doesn't matter and you know what i feel like church and, and this is a beautiful family church so i feel like i can just speak candidly i feel like a lot of the time that's kind of us that's us and i say that to i say that to myself before i say it to anyone else i feel like we need to simplify again a lot of us need to just come back to where it all started. You know when Elijah lost the axe head, do you know where he found it? Right where he lost it. God tell him, go back to where you started. And he found it there again. I feel like so many of us make the faith about position, title, routine, regulation, all this stuff. But underneath it, we don't know God. And as long as that layer is missing, friends, you'll never feel right in the faith, no matter how big you become no matter how awesome the works you are that are done, and God will do awesome things through you, you will always feel burnt out, tired, something's missing, lack of joy, lack of passion. You always wonder, why do I do what I do? Gosh, can you help me out? Just, just a guitar, bro, is fine, no problem. Um, 
And could I have someone help me get the lights, please, if that's okay? Thanks so much, Chris. Today, if I could ask you just to bow your heads and just to close your eyes, because today is, it, it's, not about, it's not about me and it's not about the message that I preached and you're not responding to me. I'm not going to ask you to respond to me. Uh, I'm going to ask you to respond to Christ in you. And because I don't, I don't want to make this response about like us or about even this church because it's about you. It's not about me. So there's not going to be coming down to the front and stuff. I think today your altar is where you're standing. And I think worship, worship in song is a beautiful response because the only real response is one where you go home later tonight and you sit down with your Bible and you actually go like, man, I'm, I'm going to read, I'm going to find God in this. And, you know, if it takes me all night, I may have worked tomorrow, I'm going to go in with no sleep because God is just, I just want to find God. That kind of desperation, God always rewards. But that's you tonight. Today, I think let's just respond in song. Gersh, if you could play Build My Life. Yeah, you got it. You got it, bro. We're in tune. Just as he sings, it's just a guitar. There's nothing fancy around here. Would you just worship?